welcome to the IBCD uh, Care and Discipleship podcast. Uh, my name is David Wojnicki. I'm on the advisory board here at IBCD, and I'm blessed to serve as one of the pastors at Valley Center Community Church. And today uh, we have a wonderful guest who is using uh, the gifts God's given him to bless us here at the Summer Institute, Milton Vincent. Milton, thank you for, for coming and uh, being a part of this uh, this weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Very, very grateful to, to have you here. We'll talk in a little bit about uh, what the Lord has placed in your heart to share um, with the uh, with the people this uh, weekend, but um, I want to, uh, for those that maybe don't know you and the pastoral ministry that God has has given you, um, give us a little background on the journey that God has had for you in bringing you to where you are today in the pastoral ministry at uh, Cornerstone Church. But um, uh, yeah, how did God draw you to Himself, and uh, and then specifically? Um, led you into pastoral ministry? Yeah. Well, yeah, great question. I, I was raised in a Christian home and heard the gospel all my life, uh, but I did struggle for most of my life under um, just maybe an incomplete understanding of the gospel. Um, and I was perpetually uncertain about whether I was saved. I would make professions of faith probably a hundred times total. And, uh, and my life would seem to change for a couple weeks or whatever, but then it seemed like I would sin and fail God, uh, enough times to where I was beginning to feel intuitively that he was fed up with forgiving me. Mm. And so eventually just from exhaustion and discouragement, I would end up back the way I was before and pretty much sure that I'm probably not a believer. So um, I operated that way um, for for a number of years. Um, and then I went to Bob Jones University for my undergraduate training and and then went to the master's seminary. And God, God did wonderful things in my life while I was at both of those institutions. But then even, even into my uh, the first 10 years of my ministry, God taught me many things, brought me along in some wonderful ways, but um, still labored under that, I think, a faulty, insufficient view of my justification in Christ. Um, but long story short, it was probably about 14 years ago that I was reading Romans 5, and it's like the lights finally turned on. Uh-huh. And I realized that, wait a minute, I'm justified all day, every day, good days, bad days, waking or sleeping solely based on the performance of Jesus and not mine. And I'm always under God's gracious favor. And I don't know why I didn't see that before, but seeing that um, on uh, in that moment as I read Romans 5, just seeing a man who was resting in his justification while I was wrestling over mine, I wouldn't have said it in those terms, sure. but that's, that's what was happening. But as I began to learn to rest in that, um, I found my heart just bursting with the love for God. And now that I'm not obsessing over my justification and tending to my standing before God, now that I could let that go because Christ handled that, I had tons of energy left over for loving God, enjoying his grace and ministering his grace to other people. So that, I don't know when exactly I was saved. Uh, in fact, I'm still being saved every day, you know, as God's growing me and teaching me. But that was definitely a critical corner that 
the Lord had me turn about 14 years ago, and it's radically changed my ministry, uh, the way I operate inside my relationship with God. Uh, and I'm just so thankful for that. That's powerful. And praise the Lord for that truth, to, for it to, to touch you in that way. Would you say that it was out of that work that uh, you've written uh, a book that is, uh, I know, blessed many lives, even members of my church, myself, have read it, uh, The Gospel Primer. And, uh, and so it was was part of what God did 14 years ago. What, what led to that? Tell, tell us a story about how that book came about. Yeah. What, what happened was, you know, justification and, um, at that time just rocked my world and it began to radically make a difference in my life. But I found that it was so easy for me to lose sight of the biblical truths about my justification so I, I wrote out uh, um, about four or five truths regarding my justification on a three by five card. And, um, and I had that in my pocket. I took it with me wherever I went. And when I found myself kind of falling out of gospel mode and beginning to get back into a works mentality or a performance mentality, I would pull that card out um, and review those truths regarding my justification. And I would do that if I wasn't doing well, if I had failed, that reminded me of God's grace. But I also would do it on my good days when I was doing so well that I started feeling proud and thinking, God must really like me because I'm doing well. Uh, so either way, good days and bad days, I had to preach to myself that it is all of grace and it's all about what Christ did and not whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. Well, long story short, that three by five card turned into the front side of a half sheet of paper and then the front and back side of a half sheet of paper. And then that grew into a little spiral bound uh, book um, and then eventually developed into the primer, which I never intended for it to be published. Um, it was just something, it was just the contents of what I was saying to myself when I would preach the gospel to myself. And it kept expand, expanding and growing. And it's been a blessing to see that that's, that's also been a, a blessing and a help to other people. I think having that as well on your shelf, something as a resource, not just only for your own heart and mind, but to give to others, I really can't uh, recommend that enough because I think it breaks down that idea of justification on a level that is clear, you know, just because something is is uh, is is simple doesn't mean that it's not profound. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that work does that. It makes it very simple, but it's it's clear and it's concise. And uh, and so thank you for writing that and, and doing that. How have you seen those thoughts um, impact? Then one, let's start with this: your pastoral ministry, mm -hmm. uh, how you pastor. Uh, a flock, and then um, how have some of those truths shaped and how you you counsel? So it's it's kind of one and the same in some ways, but just from your overall thought on pastoral ministry, has it impacted your pastoral ministry? How you shepherd a shepherd a flock, and then we'll talk a little bit about how you can take those truths into the counseling. Right? Yeah, well, it has made an impact. I don't think anything has had a bigger impact than, than that. Cause I'm realizing if the gospel is 
if I keep this in front of my face and I'm preaching this to myself and I find my heart exploding with a love for God and a desire to please him and minister his grace to other people, then, and if that's the very thing I want to see in our congregation, then I need to, I need to be preaching the gospel to them all the time. So, uh, that's, you know, and I'm still trying to get it right, but I can, I can tell you over the last 14 years that, uh, I've grown in my commitment to an ability to actually execute just, um, preaching the gospel to God's people. It's, it's become my conviction that the church is full of under-evangelized Christians. Mm-hmm. And um, my ministry, you know, when Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, I don't think he's just saying evangelize the lost, although I think that's obviously a part of what his ministry was and what my ministry is. But I think he's also talking about in your ministry to God's people, as you function as a pastor, do the work of an evangelizer, gospelize the the people of God. And I take my cues for that from the Apostle Paul, where he's writing to the Roman Christians and he's saying, I can't wait to be with you guys. Um, And and he says, as for, for my part, I am eager to evangelize you who are at Rome. That's Christian people that he's talking to. And he's like, I want to be with you and evangelize you. He couldn't go and be with them at that moment. So what does he do? He writes the book of Romans. And what is Romans? But the fullest explication of the gospel that we find anywhere in scripture. And it was written to Christian people. Um, And that's his mode of ministry, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, um, Colossians 1 and 2, Romans 1 through 11. His ministry was, I'm going to preach the gospel, um, and then I will show God's people the ramifications of the gospel and how to unleash that and how to live that out. And I have found both as a pastor and as a counselor that if if I can do that and make that my priority, um, I often have to put on my running shoes to keep up with what God is doing in the lives of people. Uh, once the gospel reaches critical mass in the hearts and the minds of, of, of God's people, uh, they're tough to keep up with um, in, in their marriage, in terms of dealing with brokenness. Um, and it's an exciting thing to, to watch that happening, not perfectly, but, but happening in my own life. It's made a radical difference in mine and Donna's marriage. Uh, we've had a number of ups and downs over the years, but we have, by God's grace, been able to put the gospel at the center. And as we become more focused on the gospel, it's made a huge difference in our marriage and it's making a huge difference in our uh, our ministry. People have asked me, what is the role of the gospel in counseling? Yeah. My answer is, what is the role of air in breathing? Sure, sure. You know, that's good. Our counsel is the gospel. And when someone comes to us with some need, you know, the priority is to listen, try to understand what's going on in the person's life and to try to look for where the gospel dysfunction is. What, what gospel truth do they not know or what gospel truth have they forgotten and lost sight of? And then so much of counseling is just evangelizing them in that area 
of gospel dysfunction and then teaching them how to think gospel and then reason from the gospel to the area of their life where there's a defect. I, I'm glad that you put that, that question in that way. And even going all the way back to the very beginning, which you said when, when Paul is talking and, and saying, you know, do the work of an evangelist, you know, be that herald,er of good news. You know, like when do we stop needing that news? Mm-hmm. You know, never. You know, never. Um, what are some of the struggles, if there have been some, that you've come up against as as you try to communicate this into people's lives? Do you do? You, are there some roadblocks that you find, or you find that people just receive this very even Christians now I'm talking about, you know, that they receive this message or, or are there things that sometimes are hindering that, that, that message getting through? Yeah, that's, um, I have to think about that. I do know that it happens at our church frequently that when someone starts coming to our church after a few months, they're like, why do you guys keep talking about the gospel? Mm. I already know what the gospel is. Uh, but sometimes those same people a year later, uh, come up to me and their eyes are dancing and they're like, I get it. I get it. I get why you're focused on, on the gospel. I think too, we, the gospel is staggeringly good news. It's such good news that it's hard to believe. Um, and I remember one couple that I was counseling with, they both were just ridden with guilt, beating each other, beating themselves up and and each other, just very, very discouraged in their walk with the Lord. And I, I remember walking them through the very truths about justification that are taught in scripture and that we talk about in the gospel primer. And when I got, when I got done, you know, just preaching that grace to them, I, I, I said to them, what do you think? Um, and the guy said, this is, this is too good to be true. We're going to have to go home and pray about this. And, and I said, that's cool. That's cool. I said, but before you leave, let me just ask you, imagine that what I said is true. What would you do if it were really true? Yeah. And the guy, he teared up and he said, if what you're saying is true, I would so love God. I'd go crazy for him. Wow. Wow. Um, But I think that's the rub that the gospel of God's grace, his forgiveness for us who are unworthy of that, to really let that in and believe it. If we did let that in and believe it, it sets our hearts ablaze. But, But it's hard... It's actually hard to believe and once believing it, uh, to then wake up the next morning, still believing it after maybe you failed in some way. So it's like Martin Luther said, you know, he had to beat the doctrine of justification into the heads of his congregation. That's what I feel like I need for me, um, and, and my ministry to others, because it's tough to believe uh, from a human standpoint, only God gives us the power to believe it. But then someone you're talking to may believe it today, but then tomorrow afternoon, 
they're not believing it for whatever reason, and you got to preach it to them again. Hearing that answer, that illustration of that couple, I mean, that's that really gets at the heart of it in, in so many ways of what the gospel can ignite in a heart when it's truly understood. I, that, right. That I would, you know, I just love God so much, and that's mm. that's exactly where it leads us. It's exactly where it leads us. Um, I mentioned in the introduction, we're really blessed to have you here. You're giving one of uh, the, the the plenary sessions. Um, I've been asking this to some of those who are, who are speaking. What's on your heart? We've been talking about the gospel primer. We've been talking about what justification has, has done. But in the message that you're going to be giving, this whole conference is about disordered desires. And uh, can you give us a little insight into um, just really what's your burden to share with the people that are here? I mean, we got biblical counselors. We have pastors. We have just lay people who want to be fed and, and nurtured in the word. And so um, what are you hoping to, to share? I've appreciated the balance at the conference because it's not just here's how to think right uh, to avoid failure, but even here's how to, I just came out of Jim Neuheiser's session about how to, how to deal with brokenness in marriage, you know, on the other side of sexual sin. So we're dealing with both sides of the equation, how to, how to think according to the truth specifically the gospel to keep from falling. But then if you fall, here's how to, um, to address that. Uh, and all the messages have been so great about giving hope. What, what I want to focus on in my session is just the specific topic of confessing sin and that on the other side of, of having sinned in any area, including, and especially in the areas we're talking about at this conference, what, um, there's a discipline called confession of sin. And, and I, I just want to do some thinking out loud about, um, about that discipline and drawing some lessons from the second half of Romans seven, where Paul is essentially doing that and is confessing his sins and, uh, and his failures. Um, and I, if the biggest takeaway I hope will be that confession is not some necessary evil that we have to do because we blew it. It's actually something we're now free to do and we get to do. Repentance is a beautiful thing that, um, and I want to talk about how that the location of Romans seven in the book of Romans, like Paul's confessions, like, I don't think any of us would have ever thought to put that there. We're going to sandwich the confessions of Romans 7, 15 through 25. We're going to put that in between Romans 5 and 6 and Romans 8. Like, I don't think if it weren't there, none of us would have noticed it's not there or thought anything's missing. But it's right there, right nestled at the foothills of the glories of Romans 8. And I think Paul's teaching us that if you want to really get Romans 8, you have to come into that chapter by way of really entering into the groanings of confession and understanding your sin. But I also want to point out that there's a reason uh, Paul demonstrates incredible courage in the way that he speaks about his sin. In the second half of Romans 7, where does he get that courage from? If you want to know where he gets the courage from, read Romans 5 and Romans 6. And, and you see a guy who obviously felt so secure in the love of God and in the grace of God um, as a justified one under grace that that safety in God's grace 
uh, did not cause Paul to forget about his sin or turn to blind turn a blind eye to his sin. It's actually the very thing that gave him the courage to be such a bold confessor of his sin in the second half of Romans seven. There are other things that we'll we'll talk about in the in the session tomorrow, but uh, but that second half of Romans seven sets a, a remarkable example for us. And ultimately, I just want to look at, I think, a total of six lessons that we can learn from those verses about confession of sin. I'm looking forward to that because uh, I think that is so necessary for us as Christians to have a right understanding of confession and of repentance uh, and the freedom that that comes uh, or the freedom that that we're ushered into to be able to do those things. Mm -hmm. it, It often does feel like that necessary evil when it's far from far from that and uh, um, I'll, I'll close with this because here we've been talking a little bit about justification and, and you've uh, going to talk here on confession sometimes um, when we're looking for our justification it almost seems like confessing is uh, it's well I'd almost say it's like antithetical because the we already you know if I confess I you know uh, I'm justified but if I confess I've, I've already feel bad about myself I'm bringing back up my sin again and uh, I you know we probably need an hour to talk about this but I just wonder just for a moment if you could say uh, just a word to that how those two things aren't antithetical um, and uh, and for the heart that desperately needs the message of the gospel and justification how how confession is is actually these two things do go together. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. Um, probably the best way to answer that succinctly is that confession of sin for a, a believer, a justified believer in Christ, is um, is the precursor to gospel confession. So it's like when you read Romans 7 and then Romans 8, it's not like Romans 8 just happens to be the next chapter after the confessions of Romans 7. Romans 8 contains what Paul confessed gospel truths that he confessed to um, whenever he did confess his sins. So it's like even in the gospel primer, when I preach the gospel to myself, I start by talking about the glory of God. And then I move to making confessions about my sin. And I do that because that actually deepens my ability to appreciate God's grace. I like talking about, you know, the magnitude of my sin, um, and reminding myself of what I deserve for my sin because it just sets me up to appreciate the grace of God. And when you read the Puritans, like in the Valley of Vision, sometimes if you look at particular lines, you think, man, those guys are beating themselves up. But look at how those prayers finish. They're just setting themselves up to be dazzled by the grace of God. Um, and I think that's, um, if I confess my sins... And I want to make this point tomorrow that um, I should not just confess my my sins, but I also need to make gospel confessions 
regarding my sins, that Christ has died for my sins. He's provided atonement for my sins, and there is no condemnation. Who is there who condemns? Christ is the one who's died and has, God has justified me. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ to where, my goodness, if my confessions of sin always climaxed with gospel confessions, uh, like what we see in Romans 8, then it's a it's a wonderful discipline uh, when those things come together. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, I think that's a message that we need to be clear on in our own hearts and minds because it's a message that we need to give, give to others as well. And so... Um, Again, thank you for, for coming and being willing to share these things with us. Thank you for the work that you've already done with the Gospel Primer. And uh, and just uh, hope and pray that God will continue to bless you in the ministry, the pastoral ministry that you have. But thanks, Milton, for, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, David. Thank you.